Supreme Court is set to decide whether or not five tribes in Oklahoma still have reservations. This week on Powwow Life. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Powwow Life. This is the podcast from powwows.com, your place to explore all things about Native American culture. I'm your host, Paul Gowder, and I appreciate you listening to the show. And I'm really excited about this week's interview. I'm interviewing Rebecca Nagel from This Land Podcast. You really need to subscribe to this podcast. It is important for everyone in Indian country. So here's the basics, and I'll let her tell more of the story in the interview. But there is a Supreme Court case that has been argued and is in front of the Supreme Court to decide whether or not the Muscogee Creek Nation and then by precedent, other tribes in Oklahoma still have reservations. The state of Oklahoma is arguing that the reservations were done away with. This is not only a huge issue for this case and the defendant who has been convicted of murder, but for these five tribes and their futures. It's an incredible show, and Rebecca tells us more about the story. And there's been an incredible uh, happening in the case, a, a, a big piece of news, and I'll tell you more about that. The Supreme Court actually did make a, a, a ruling that nobody expected, um, so I'll tell you more about that after the interview. I only want you to hear that before you find out where we are with the case right now. So yes, I'm really excited for you to hear from Rebecca and uh, listen, learn more about this case. It's a podcast, like I said, everyone needs to subscribe to. I hope you're Powwow season is going great. We are in the middle of it, and things are busy. Uh, lots of powwows going on, so be sure to check our calendar for the latest information, www.powwows.com slash calendar. There is an event somewhere near you, so find one and uh, check out a powwow close to you this powwow season. The music from today's show is from Scissortail. Check them out wherever you get your music, on Apple or Amazon or any other place that you download music, go check them out. An incredible drum group. Be sure to come back after the interview and hear the special update on where we are with the Supreme Court case. For now, sit back and enjoy the interview with Rebecca Nagel. This week on the show, I've got a great guest, and I can't wait for her to tell the story that, that she's been telling anyways on her podcast. Um, with me is Rebecca Nagel from This Land Podcast. Rebecca, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I've been excited to tell the story to our listeners because um, I think it's just an amazing story that you, you are telling through your podcast and one that everybody needs to know about. Before before we get there, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know, um, I guess how you got into podcasting and, and uh, where, you know, what tribe you're from and all that. My name is Rebecca Nagel. I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation, and I live in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I grew up in a town just outside of my tribe's uh, boundaries called Joplin, Missouri. Um, and I, this is my first podcast ever. <laughs> and I, um, it started actually, I wrote an article about the Supreme Court case and the stakes and even like my personal connection um, to the subject matter for um, the Washington Post and a media company called Cricket Media that makes podcasts 
um, read it and asked me if I'd be interested in making a podcast and lots of hours of working on it later. <laughs> it's, um, it's a real thing. It's really exciting. Yeah. It's, um, and it's an amazing podcast. You know, as, as somebody who's a fan of lots of podcasts, I, um, not only is yours a compelling story, but you're telling it in a fantastic way. So I know there has to be hours of work going into uh, to make it and to make it so compelling. So as a fan, thanks for doing that. It's, it's awesome. Oh, thank you. I'm, gl- I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, before I started working on podcasts, I didn't realize how much goes into it. Um, but now I have a real, real appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into the story here. Your podcast is the story of of really a Supreme Court case um, that I, I don't know that anybody in the beginning really anticipated this becoming a, an issue in a Supreme Court case. Um, but it, it was a murder case. Um, so can you give us a little background on, on uh, I guess, the, the start of the case and what the original case was all about? Yeah, so um, the case that is in front of the Supreme Court right now, and that's going to get decided literally any day now, um, actually started with a murder in 1999 in Vernon, Oklahoma. So a Creek citizen named Patrick Murphy killed another Creek citizen, and Mr. Murphy was sentenced to death by the state of Oklahoma. But in his appeals of his death sentence, he argued that the crime happened on a reservation, So therefore, the state of Oklahoma didn't have jurisdiction to sentence him to death. Um, And so he went through appeals in a a long process, like many appeals are. And then the Tenth Circuit Court uh, actually agreed with him and upheld um, that Muskogee Creek Nation's reservation had never been disestablished by Congress. Um, So that's the question that's in front of the Supreme Court right now is, um, you know, will the Supreme Court recognize and affirm Muskogee Creek Nation's reservation. And the implications of that are huge. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it's big because, um, you know, we won't know until we read the decision exactly um, which reservations it affects. But my tribe, Cherokee Nation, along with Chickasaw Nation, Choctaw Nation, and Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, we all have a very similar, almost parallel history. And so if the Supreme Court interprets, you know, the laws that impact Muskogee Creek land, I mean, some of those laws are literally the same laws that were passed um, to force our tribes into allotment and to make Oklahoma a state. And so it, it sets up you know, how the United States is probably also going to interpret whether or not our reservations are still going to be affirmed. So total, the land of the five tribes is about 40% of the state of Oklahoma and 19 million acres. So it could be a huge win for Indian country after, you know, a century of Oklahoma treating us like our reservations don't exist anymore for the Supreme Court to affirm that they still do. Yeah. And like I said before, it is to me. It's, um, I can't believe that this isn't being splashed across all the headlines um, <laughs> because of just how big of a, a thing this is. Did in it the is. original, yeah, in the original prosecution, did did the issue of the reservation never come up in his arrest or anything else? No, I mean, you know, it, it, I think sometimes it can be kind of mind-boggling, but I think we do have a lot of situations like this as tribes or either this state or the local, you know, city or county government doesn't acknowledge, you know, parts of our treaty territory or parts of our reservations that are ours. So Oklahoma has been prosecuting crimes on our reservations as if our reservations don't exist. Um, 
And so it was not, it did not, the argument did not come up until the appeals process. Hmm. Yeah, because that was one of my first questions. You know, we've all watched Thunderheart, right? Um, and you know that the FBI comes on reservations and, and investigates murder cases. So it was odd to me that, that the Oklahoma State Police got involved. Yeah. And so and that's that's how like that jurisdictional issue is exactly how this case got to the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's interesting because I think in death penalty appeals cases, you know, the public defenders for Mr. Murphy, they're just trying to save his life. So they were trying to think of whatever arguments they could use um, to save him from being executed. And um, and so they tried the reservation argument and that's the one that stuck. And so it's I mean, it's kind of an interesting twist of events that this small town murderer turned into the Supreme Court case that now has these huge stakes. Yeah. Um, so have has any other tribes for, filed amicus briefs or, or gotten involved at all? Yeah, you know, I don't know all of the amicus parties that supported Muskogee Creek Nation, but certainly the five tribes here in Oklahoma had a coordinated legal effort where, um, you know, I know that they worked together on planning out their briefs and, you know, Muskogee Creek Nation um, not only filed a brief because the actual party to the case isn't the tribe, it's Mr. Murphy because it's his his death penalty that he's appealing, Um, but Muskogee Creek Nation um, they filed briefs and they also argued um, during oral arguments. I know that the other tribes in Oklahoma, um, our five tribes were involved. I know like the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center filed a brief and I believe the NARF filed a brief. So I know that, you know, leaders in Indian country and advocacy organizations are following it um, because it will be it will be a really big deal for Indian country either way that it's decided. I, I'm hopeful that we'll win and that it'll be a historic victory. But I also think that if we lose, it could set really dangerous precedent for other residents. All right, so the stakes the, are really high. Yeah, very high. So let's talk about what happens if if um, he wins and they rule. Yeah. So it does. Well, first question is: Does he get? Does the tribe come in and arrest him and try him for murder? Well, so the tribe could, and the other. The other government that will have jurisdiction over the murder is the federal government. I think it's more likely that he would be tried in a federal court. Right, right. Um, And so, yeah, so he'll basically, you know, the thing that's interesting about this case in particular, that's sort of uh, in the weeds kind of factoid, but um, the federal government actually can't sentence tribal citizens to death because unless their tribe consents. And so Patrick Murphy will probably spend the rest of his life in jail. But because of that, it's likely that his life will be spared. Okay. And so now if, if he loses, um, then I guess he, he, yeah. And and if he loses, then he'll, he will be executed. This is his last, and in his death penalty appeals case, this is his last chance. Okay. Um, do, does he have an, uh, a scheduled um, uh, execution date yet, or do, I mean, what would be the time? You know, that? honestly, I I don't know. I don't know that. I think that they're probably waiting for the outcome of the appeal. Yeah. Now, I guess the other stakes. Let's talk about that. If if he loses, the implication here is that um, 
the reservations in Oklahoma will no longer be recognized. Yeah, I think that um, the, I think the most dangerous precedent that this case could set, and again, we won't know until we read the actual language of the decision. So, inter- you know, knowing the full impact of the decision is a little bit more complicated than knowing who wins and loses. Right. But basically, part of Oklahoma's argument is that um, they can't point to a specific sentence, you know, or a specific act of Congress or a moment where Congress disestablished Muscogee Creek Nation's reservation. So instead, they use all this circumstantial evidence where they're like, well, the government came and they took this from the tribes. They came and took this. You know, they they said that we could no longer have our own court system and they took that. They seized all tribal property. You know, they didn't let us um, have full self-governance. And so... If Oklahoma wins on that argument, it gets that very dangerous precedent for Indian country because every tribe has been through that. You know, we have all had moments where the United States has come on to our land and told us what's going to happen there, has somehow infringed on our sovereignty. And so if this case that's precedent that, you know, years, centuries later, you can interpret those hostile actions as disestablishing a reservation, it was that really dangerous precedent for Indian country and really destabilize the rules that everyone has been following now about when a reservation exists and when a reservation doesn't exist. Has there not been any kinds of official, you know, over the last hundred years, any kind of official dealings between the tribe and the state? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's interesting is that um, we we work together a lot. And so, you know, my tribe, Cherokee Nation, we um, are our tribal police are cross deputized. So we're actually cross deputized with like city and county officials. Our tribes do things like uh, we issue our own car tags, which is a deal that we have with the state. So, we, I mean, our tribes, like the five tribes are some of the largest tribes in the United States. I mean, Cherokee Nation is the largest tribe, but within Oklahoma, we have a big presence. And so we're working hand in hand with the state and local governments on a regular basis. And so that's one of the, one of the scare tactics that the state has tried to use is this argument that basically the sky will fall down. And if, you know, these reservations are affirmed, it would turn, you know, people's understanding of where they live on its head but when you look at what's actually happening on the ground is that, you know, the, gov- the tribes are already providing a lot of basic government services and, you know, working, working closely with city, county and state government. Right. And, you know, it's really for the person living, the, the non-native person living on the reservation, there really wouldn't be a change for them. Right. I mean. Right. And that's, I mean, I think it's funny because I think that's the thing that as Native people, we're, we're aware of that. I think there's a lot of non-Native fear around, but, you know, we know that the truth is, is that um, if you're a non-Native person on a reservation, there's very little jurisdiction that the tribe has over you or your property. And so some of the fears that, you know, small businesses are going to have new regulations or basically that the tribes are going to be this new sheriff in town. It isn't just isn't real because that's not, you know, there's already a set of Supreme Court cases and laws that really limit um, how and when tribes can prosecute non-Native people, even when those people are on our reservation. So what about what about all the businesses that are tribally owned if the if this gets um, 
uh, ruled against Mr. Murphy and the tribe, um, you know, I, I know, I'm sure there's, they have special, um, I don't know, uh, tax rights or um, deals with the tribe. Does all of that, does now do these native business owners now, is it a big change for them? Um, you know, I think it depends on the situation. Um, and so I will say, like, um, I know that some, like, property taxes could change. Mm-hmm. And also, because, um, you know, the situation that in Oklahoma is pretty complicated where the way that we went through allotment, if allotment land is still restricted already, those uh, those property owners don't pay property taxes. So there might be some situations where, you know, people who are living on the reservation and working for the tribe um, don't have to pay state income taxes, but it's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, narrow um, in who it affects. So it would just be tribal citizens and then it would be for specific situations if that makes sense right okay but yeah the, you know there's all kinds of uh things that the tribe has and other businesses like it's going to be a mess um the other thing i found really interesting is um one justice has recused himself correct yeah so justice gorsuch was involved i think it's just a procedural matter but he he was involved in the case when it was on the 10th circuit and so it's customary that if the if the justice is involved in the case in the lower court to recuse himself when it gets to the supreme court and the thing that's actually kind of interesting about that i think a lot of times people assume that because gorsuch is a trump appointee because he's conservative that he would be bad for indians but it's actually kind of like bad for us that he's sitting this one out because his uh, record on Indian law is actually pretty good. Um, and since he's been on the bench um, in the past few treaty cases, he has um, cited to affirm the treaty rights of tribes. That That's shocking, especially when the next thing I want to ask you about is you mentioned in the podcast that the, um, the one justice that's most surprising with their record uh, against tribal rights is um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, correct? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people, you know, Ginsburg has become this icon, really, yeah. on the Supreme Court. You know, with her, you can get sort of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg earrings, and there's yeah. documentaries <laughs> and all of this stuff. And you know, I'm just, I'm I'm a fan of her work on gender justice, and as a woman, I really appreciate you know the work that she's done around that. But the truth is, when it comes to Indian law, her record's not very good. Um, and she authored the decision um, in 2005 called Cheryl, where she actually cited in her decision the Doctrine of Discovery, which was the series of, like, popple bowls that came out of the Catholic Church that said that wherever Europeans discovered uh, land occupied by non-Christians, they could just claim it. Um, and that is, uh, you know, first got introduced into the Supreme Court in, like, the 1830s, but it's just this crazy racist legal theory um, that was cited in part of her decision. And so I think that, um, I, I, I think what's interesting when we look at the Supreme Court, and I think Native American rights and politics in general, is that as Native Americans, we don't, our interests don't always follow a party line, you know, like, right. Where I'm from in Oklahoma, two of our Native people who are in Congress, Tom Cole and uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, 
you know, they're both Republicans and, you know, they're Cherokee and Chickasaw. And it's um, it, it doesn't always follow that Democrat and Republican split. And I think that looking at the records of Gorsuch and Ginsburg, I think it's an interesting example. And so what about the other justices? Are we, are we looking at a possible 4-4 tie or? I think a 4-4 tie is possible if Ginsburg, and you know, I don't want to uh, rail on Ginsburg too hard. I mean, <laughs> she she votes for charge sometimes and she just, compared to the other liberal justices, her record um her record is not as good as she has um, in, in the in the uh, majority of cases where um, the majority has ruled against tribes, uh, Ginsburg has sided with the majority against tribes. And so, um, yeah, but if, if Ginsburg uh, sticks with um, the other liberal justices, I think a 4-4 tie is really possible. And that would be a victory because it upholds the Tenth Circuit Court's decision, which affirmed Muskogee Creek Nation's reservation. And so that would that would be a victory for the tribe. Um, but it was shocking that the Supreme Court even considered this. And, and I'm not uh, an expert on all things Supreme Court, but when they decided to take the case, um, do we know which justices that was or anything like that that gives us a hint? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that it is I think there is reason for concern that they decided to take the case because, you know, normally the Supreme Court takes cases to settle a legal question or a legal issue. So maybe, you know, you have appellate courts who are saying different different things about the same law or there's, you know, an important question that they want to set precedent. But the precedent in this case um, is pretty well established and was even tested just a few years ago in a case out of Nebraska with the Omaha tribe. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of that tribe with a really similar question, which was, you know, did allotment disestablish this reservation? Um, uh, or did, you know, was, was this reservation still existing where these lands had been allotted? Um, and, you know, the Omaha tribe won that case unanimously. And so the Supreme Court kind of asked and answered a really similar legal question just a couple years ago. But what's different in Murphy is that, um, you know, it's it's a much bigger area of land. And it's also an area of land that has vast oil and gas reserves. And so I think that we'll see, you know, whether or not the Supreme Court, you know, sticks to its principles and sticks to the letter of the law, or if they, you know, bow to the interests of Oklahoma, you know, the Trump administration has got involved and also oil and gas. Yeah, oil and gas has has done great things for tribes, but it's not always been our friend. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and wherever there's money, there's always more tension. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I don't know that you. Uh, it's it's amazing that uh, that all this has come about and the suspense that it's building, uh, and so we expect a a ruling any day. What what's the latest possible day that we could get a ruling? Um. That's a good question. So right now, the latest possible day that we know publicly is Monday. That's the last decision day. But it's possible for them to add more days. So, But it probably won't go past uh, late June, early July. Okay. So if it's not Monday, then it, you know, maybe another two or three weeks. Probably. 
probably it'll probably wrap up next week. So they could add like this week they added Thursday and Friday as decision days. So they had decision days are on Mondays, but they added Thursday and Friday because they actually have a really high number of decisions that they haven't decided yet for being this late in the term. So we'll probably see other days after Monday next week added, um, but we probably won't know those days until Monday. Are there, I'm sure there's, I know there's lots of decisions. Are there, are there some major uh, decisions coming out? Are there other tribal cases pending? Or, you know, do we think that they'll all get released yeah, at the think, same time? Um, there, the, I think the big decisions that people are looking at are like the census case. Um, there's a gerrymandering case. Uh, there's the Curtis Flowers case. Um, there were a couple treaty rights cases that have already come out this term, and both of those uh, were affirmed for the tribe. Um, and so, you know, we'll we'll see what the Supreme Court does with Murphy. You know, I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch, and, and you know, both whether it's it's affirmed or um, reversed. There's just so many implications, um, so and we won't know for yeah. a while until it, to see how all of it is interpreted and, um, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that after um, after the decision is public, there will be um, you know if if the tribes win, there will be um, you know I, I I think one of the things that's interesting about this case is that the tribes already work really closely with the state in a lot of areas, and so I think if there is a change um, in criminal jurisdiction because of this case and things like that, you know, those are things that we're going to be sitting down. Our tribes are going to be sitting down with leaders from the state, probably even leaders from Congress, um, to figure out what the best solution is so that there's a smooth transition. I think everybody wants, um, you know, everybody wants the stability of Oklahoma, you know, for Oklahoma to stay stable. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I feel like, um, yeah, I, can't, I was I had like another thought there, and it left me. But that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Sorry, <this laughs> hopefully a, you can edit that out. <laughs> it's a huge, complicated issue. Um, what? And I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, so, what happened if the tribe does, or if the reservation is um, determined to not be still recognized? What happens to the tribe's sovereignty? Does does the tribe still exist in the same way without land or, or, you know, how is that going to work? Yeah. So Oklahoma's argument is that basically, so we went through allotment and uh, for land to still be recognized by the state of Oklahoma as Indian land or as like Indian country, um, it has to be what's called restricted land. And so for land to still be restricted, it has to have never left the hands of the family of the original allottee. It could have never been sold. Um, they couldn't have even gotten a mortgage on that land. Every time it was inherited, they had to go through a complicated paperwork process. And if they failed to do that, then it's no longer restricted. Um, it's one of the, until about a year ago, well, until last year, um, the landowner had to be half blood quantum or more. And if any of those things didn't happen, then the land is no longer considered restricted. And so after a hundred years of that, um, the only land within uh, only about 2% of our total land is still restricted. And so if Oklahoma wins, um, 
that's all the Indian country they say is left in eastern Oklahoma. Okay, so it really doesn't affect the, the tribe's sovereignty or anything else. It just, there's not going to be as much restricted land. Yes. Okay. No, there would, yeah, there would be. Um, so the difference is, is that like our 14-county our jurisdiction, our entire reservation would be affirmed if the tribes went. But what Oklahoma is saying, that only that 2%, only that small fraction of our land, that's all the land that we should have jurisdiction over, and that's all the land that should be considered Indian country. Okay. All right. But the tri- So the tribe would still be a, a federally recognized tribe with all the benefits? Yeah. It, just, it would yeah. be on a little postage mm-hmm. stamp of land. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and a lot of tribes, not every tribe has a reservation, you know, and right. so... Um, we would have basically what we have is a checkerboard. And so instead of having um, our 14 county jurisdiction recognize Oklahoma would win and the Supreme Court would say, like, yes, the only thing that you're left with is this checkerboard. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't wait to see how this is going to play out. Um, but, you know, again, I want to say thank you for bringing this story to light. Um, there are so many important stories that are happening in our courts, and um, it's amazing that I keep saying it that, that more of this isn't um, being told. Um, so thank you for bringing this out. It's it's a it's just a crazy story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and and so uh, we'll keep listening for the episodes and uh, and listen and waiting for that decision. Um, and uh, as soon as something comes out, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes and, of course, link to all the episodes. But uh, definitely we'll uh, push out some uh, notifications once once we get a decision here. So, um, yeah, yeah, I know oof. a lot of us, a lot of us in Oklahoma are on the edge of our seats every 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 day. The Supreme Court is releasing decisions. We're just waiting for it. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much again for being here and, and telling the story. Uh, I look forward to, to seeing more content come out from you. Uh, you're a great storyteller. Um, I, maybe we can uh, find an, another story eventually that's uh, not as dire as this one, <laughs> but I uh, can't wait to see what else you come out with. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Powell Life Podcast. And as promised, I want to give you a special update on what has happened with the case. So the Supreme Court, as you heard from Rebecca, was uh, due to make a ruling on this case. And in a really surprising turn of events, they did make a ruling, but it is not one that anybody expected because they've only done this a handful of times ever. They ruled that they're not going to rule until next court session. And they are making both parties come back and re-argue the case. Like I said, this doesn't happen very often. It's only a handful of times in the history of the Supreme Court has this happened. But both sides are going to have to come back and make their argument again in front of the justices. And there will be a new round of questioning from them. Uh, and so maybe we'll get a better feel when we have these arguments again of where the justices are leaning and, and why they postponed a decision on this case. It's all very interesting. Uh, we, you know, we really don't know why they would have done this, um, but there's some kind of issue that they want to hear again. So uh, we've got another year now to wait uh, until this case is decided. Huh. So 
we'll, we'll have to just wait. But it's a it's an incredible case. Like I said before in the podcast, Rebecca is telling the story in a in super incredibly compelling way. So I hope you'll go over and subscribe to her podcast uh, and listen to that while we're waiting to see what the Supreme Court's going to do. Anyways, I'm your host, Paul Gowder, and thank you so much for being here again on Powwow Life. Hope you have a great week, and I'll see you down the trail. Good luck. Here's this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year? did we first live stream. Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.